Welcome to another great episode of the Vinyard Nordic podcast. In this episode, I'm very happy to speak with Per Christian Lunde. Per Christian and his wife Tine are leading the vintage vineyard in Oslo, Norway. He's also the national leader of Vinyard Norway and working as a business consultant, helping companies develop and grow. People would ask, so Christian, what are you doing these days? I would say, I'm in the trash business. I drive my taxi and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I remember just as I was about to say, well, I'm in the trash business, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you can't call these people trash. I love them and I gave my life for them. And immediately I was just convicted of my poor attitude. And, and then I prayed a prayer and experienced probably the most profound transformation since my conversion. And I said, you have to do a work in my heart. You have to give me a love for these people. In this episode, Pat Christian shares about his way of finding Jesus in his teenage years, starting in a church in Africa. He then shares how his view of life changed when he met Jesus and how that transformed him and his actions forever after. We hear stories of him sharing Jesus as a taxi driver in Oslo and prophesying to top-class business leaders at work. This is truly an uninspiring talk where we also discuss the core values of the Vineyard Movement and what we mean by kingdom perspective. So please have a go and hope you like this episode. So, very welcome to this episode of the Vineyard Nordic Podcast, Per Christian. How are you doing today? Thank you, and I'm doing great. Good to have you here. And also very good to have you in the podcast as we also normally talk in our mentorship relation as well. So it's good to do have you also in the podcast uh, today. And uh, for people outside uh, that doesn't know you quite well, tell us a little bit like what are you doing in life today? Okay, so, well, I'm still married to Tina after almost 30 years now, and we're doing uh, really well. Our girls are grown up, have moved out. Carolina is uh, just finishing her bachelor's, second bachelor's. Benedicta has a year left of her master's degree, and they're on their own. I lead a small church plant in Oslo, Vintage Vineyard. I also have the privilege of serving and leading the vineyard in Norway, along with, and then actually my day job <laughs> is working in the corporate world where I help large corporations to professionalize sales and leadership. Sounds really good. And what's the best thing with your work? Oh, I, I love people. I love to be uh, present when change happens in people's lives and to, to have a little part in improving you know, value in people's lives is really what gets me up in the morning. With a kingdom perspective, we're going to talk more about the kingdom, I, I suspect. But starting my day with worship and saying beforehand yes to whatever God leads me into is really what sets the day for me. And then it's really about people and the value that God has instilled in them. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really good. And that's also been something that I've been challenged over the last years to really start the day on a good way and really inviting to see like, what can God do this day in my everyday life? It's so easy to get stuck in like doing the normal, the everyday days. And then you're so focused on the, the Sunday or the gatherings with your Christian friends, but really uh, taking God into your, to your work day is, is so important. So yeah, that's good. Um, if you were to describe yourself with three words, uh, what would those be? I know this was a little bit tricky for you since... Uh... <laughs> I actually had to ask my wife because 
I don't think of myself in those terms, but so here are the things that she would at least describe me with. So uh, she would say, I'm generous, I'm engaged and passionate, I'm committed, and I am absent-minded, which is frustrating to her, probably. <laughs> yeah. And, and could you describe like a little bit around those words, like a short comment to each word? Sure. You know, I think generosity is, I mean, it's one of the core uh, of our four core values at Vintage Vineyard, uh, Vintage Vineyard is, is generous lives. It really comes out of having experienced the grace and, and, and overwhelming generosity of God and the richness of, of who he is. And I think one of the, and so that just it refl- it should be reflected in all our choices and, and priorities. You know, God this, you know, presents himself as Yahweh, I am, I'm eternally present. And so he is, he is always present, right? And I think perhaps the paramount expression of generosity is being present to someone, to be attentive and, and caring. And so that's one of the things that I really, if, you know, I've never entered the presence of the Lord and he's looked away. He's always present with me and looking at me. And I, I know that I'm the center of his attention. And so I, I really want to reflect that in the way I encounter people as well. Now, I don't always succeed, obviously, but I think the more I allow the Lord to work in me, uh, I think that comes through. Mm. Yeah. And the passionate and engaged thing, again, I think my I'm going to share a little later about how my life was transformed when I was 18, where I had a really a paradigm shift and it shifted my whole orientation of life where I, I turn away from worshiping myself and my own desires and my own ambitions and everything to worshiping him and allowing him to be the center of my worship and my, my, my life. And that passion has never ceased since I was 18. Um, and then committed, I think, again, I, I, everything of these, I think it's, you know, work in progress. But again, Jesus, he was committed unto death. Mm. And so we, you could always count on him because he has demonstrated the length of how far he will go to love. Mm. So that is just a real value to me that, that I hope is, is being, you know, coming through my life. Mm. And then absent-minded, I can't help it. <laughs> I guess I'm just why do why do you think we, she she said that? Well, the Norwegian word is distre, and and we didn't really find the right uh, English word. But I think I, I tend to forget things. That's why I have a lot of reminders on my cell phone because I just forget things. Mm. So, um, which is frustrating. So I I spend a little bit of energy on trying to at least appear structured, and so yeah, that's me. Yeah. And for being a person that have a lot of things going on, like both work and church, it seems like you make it work quite well anyway. But maybe that's the good routines of writing down things and stuff like that. Yeah, nothing trumps good luck, you know, so I guess I'm lucky. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, that's fun. Um, So before we're going to dig a little bit more deep into who you are and and your stories, I always ask some quick questions for the people that I interview to to answer and both fun questions and uh, maybe some more serious questions. But the first question then, so like on a free day, what's the favorite thing you like to do? Like what's a hobby that you like to engage in? Okay, so then I would go down to my man cave in the basement of our house and we sit down with my electric guitars and just uh, play and have fun. That's good. And what kind of music do you play? 
well, blues, just, you know, I just picked it up actually last year. I haven't played for 30 years. Yeah. And then I, I sort of dusted off my guitars. And, and so I'm not a very good player, but I, I enjoy it. That was actually something new for me. Maybe that's something for people to watch on the open stage on summer camp. Who knows? <laughs> hey, haven't you ever been at a Could Have Been's uh, concert? We've Our band has played at least twice at the summer camp. Oh, you have? We have, yes. Okay. I have yeah. missed that. Maybe that was before my time in the vineyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. Probably. <laughs> so maybe it's time to come back again. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, share one thing that maybe not many people know about you. Oh my goodness, what would that be? That maybe not many people know about me. That's one of those you should have prepared me for, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what would that be? Could that be a hidden talent? Obviously, the guitar playing was uh, hidden for me, but yeah, maybe not I, for I everyone else. That would be a good fun fact. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, I'm... I am a two times uh, Nordic champion, junior champion in tennis. Oh, you are? Yeah, in Kenya. Oh, in Kenya. <laughs> yeah. So I beat my brother and the Finnish guy both years. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, but that's really something to put on the wall. Don't you think? The Nordic champion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No one needs to know that how many was in the competition. Yeah. So you can you're editing everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you leave that out. Yeah. You tell what you wanted people to know. So that's exactly. Good. Yeah. Um, if we go to another question, then, and I know this is a topic that's really on your heart. So maybe we can have a good explanation. This episode, I always ask this uh, question to the people: What is your definition of leadership? Intentional influence. Intentional influence. How would you describe that? Well, I think everybody has influence, right? Uh, so whatever you do, even if you're unintentional, you you influence people with your behavior and your mindset and your values. And leaders have an intention with how the, with, with what they do it. And for us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we we submit our authority to Him. I mean, it's it's a delegated authority from Him, and so we always look to the King, to what He is doing, and then we we deploy our influence in serving His purposes. And so, but it just in general, I think whether it's a, you're a Christian or not, I think that's the simplest definition in my view of leadership is intentional influence. That sounds really good. And the last one, and I have asked this one to one, I think uh, the last episode we, we had this one, and I really like this one. I heard it from someone else before. If you could choose three persons, dead or alive, that you could spend one dinner with, who would those three people be? Ooh. So three people dead or alive or and alive. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jesus is still alive. So I, but I have the privilege of dialoguing with him every day. I think definitely Nelson Mandela would be a person I would want to sit down with and dialogue with. Just ask him how he could, what were the things that brought him through 27 years of prison? Mm. And coming out with such a gracious, you know, attitude and leading South Africa through, you know, into a really democracy. Yeah. Who else? Wow. That's the kind of question that, you know, yeah. again, should be prepared for. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to sit down with my grandfather again. He was a hero of mine. Grandfather. And, what what uh, was his actually, name? Actually, my grandparents. What would you like to discuss with them? Well, at the end of their lives, they talked a lot about their lives during the war and, and when they grew up. Mm. And so I, I certainly heard a lot of things while they were still here. 
but I think just to explore their more of their journeys of faith. My my grandfather was a bishop on my father's side, and uh, I know quite a bit of his journey. But I would certainly want to explore more of it. Mm. You know, it's something about your roots. And actually, yeah. my great grandfather would also be uh, another person who would be his my grandmother's dad because he had a very radical conversion and became a church leader that shaped the face of christianity in our nation in his generation mm. um so he wrote books and was a professor in theology and and had wrote books that were translated into you know 30 languages and became classics so I'd love to hear his side of things because he was also quite controversial in his time. Mm. Sounds like interesting people. Yeah. Thank you. So in this podcast, we always try to dig down a little bit more into the guest stories. And we always ask these questions like, what are three situations or happenings or things that have shaped who you are today? And what were the turning points that made you maybe have this realization or change in life uh, during those moments. So yeah, why don't you share? Yeah, so three episodes. I've been thinking about that. That has been really formative for me. I think, you know, the first one was when I was 15 at the time. I lived in Kenya, uh, Africa, East Africa with my family. My father was a television reporter, a respondent for Norwegian broadcasting, television and radio. And uh, I was with him on a, a work trip to South Africa during apartheid. This was in 1985, in May. There was a state of emergency in the country. And so it was quite high tensions. And so this morning, this incident happened early in the morning. I was in my car with my dad. And suddenly I hear his voice basically yelling at me, say, get down on the floor. And I just threw myself down. And the context was this. We were on our way into Soweto, which was a, a black township. And my father, as a journalist, was blacklisted by the apartheid regime. And so we came to a checkpoint where he had to roll down his the window and to be let through. And so I basically was hiding on the floor and as he was as we were coming close to this checkpoint. I remember I think the window was also open because this, the smoke from the township was coming into the car and it just created some, some images in my mind from what I had heard the, the day before. Because the day before we had met with some anti-apartheid leaders and they had told stories of what they did to people who were betraying others to the secret police. And the most horrific thing they told was something they called the necklace which was basically a, a, a tire, a car tire that they would fill with gasoline and put it over the head and, and body of that person. Then they would lit the fire and the person would burn up. Hmm. And so that's how they would handle the traders. And so I, I'm laying there on the floor, actually really afraid and wondering if we'll be arrested at this checkpoint. And all these things are going through my mind. And then suddenly the engine starts running and we, we are driving on and we came through the checkpoint. Now, and so now we're inside Soweto, which was a place, again, my father was blacklisted there, but we were on our way to a church service. Mm -hmm. And uh, because there had been tensions between anti-apartheid groups, um, I don't know if everybody who listens knows apartheid, but it's basically racism founded in the constitution. So in South Africa at the time, if you were black, you were not allowed to live in the same area as a white person, or they had different degrees of value 
to people. And the highest value were the, the white race group, which they called it, and then the lowest was the black. So you had all these tensions and the white superior groups, they would, and the government would suppress the majority black population. And so there were tensions, but this church service was supposed to have, be a reconciliation service between the black groups. And so we went out there to see what was going to happen. And we come to the church and we get out of the car and we see a lot of military and police are just surveilling the, the area. I look about 40 meters uh, away from the church and I, I count 12 to 13 hippos is what they call them, was military vehicles basically controlling the area. And so it's it felt like a war zone, you know. Mm. And then people are coming to attend this service. And, and my father recognized the pastor. The, and we walk over to him and I, I shake his hand, a, low, a short man. And then my dad says, could you please take this tape recorder and sit in front of the church? And when the music starts and the singing starts, I want you just to record. Because he just loved the singing in the, the South African churches. So, you know, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't really have any idea of what church was, but I thought, okay, I'll sit there and we'll see what happens. And then the church fills up. And then when the church is full and the service starts, the, door, the back door opens. And then everybody gets to their feet and the singing starts. And I press my little recorder. And now I understand why my dad was so excited about the singing, because people are singing with their hearts, you know, and the door opens, and then the pastor and the other pastors come dancing up the aisle, <laughs> <laughs> singing and dancing, and everybody's clapping. And so this, and this was my first encounter with Desmond Tutu, who was this pastor who was leading this reconciliation service. Mm. And I was actually in my very limited 15-year-old mind thinking to myself, who is really free? Is it those military people out there controlling things? Or is it these people in here singing, you know, with their hearts? We had to leave the, the service before it ended. and But we heard on the news the day after that what happened was what often happened, that when people came out of the church, they were attacked by the police with tear gas and batons and, and dogs, and a lot of people were arrested, and many never came back to their families. And that was the reality of South Africa and during apartheid. Mm. At the same time, there's a person sitting in jail, in, in prison, on an island south of, of Cape Town, and, uh, and his name is Nelson Mandela. Mm. And a few years later, about, well, you know, less than 10 years later, he walks out of prison as a new leader uh, and be becoming the next president mm. of South Africa. And I remember the suspension when he was, was walking out and, and was giving his first speech. And in a country, and you have to understand, there has been so much suppression and violence and injustice. Mm. And if he had just said one word like revenge, it would have been a huge bloodshed in South Africa. And instead, this man, after 27 years in prison, he starts to, to talk about his vision of a rainbow nation where peoples of all races and all kinds of people will be respected and have dignity. Hmm. And he talks about forgiveness and reconciliation, and he's actually the one who takes the lead with Desmond Tutu to create the new nation based hmm. on forgiveness and reconciliation. Amazing. Wow. Hmm. And so I was 15, and, uh, and that shaped me in terms of my 
drive to to fight against uh, injustice. Mm. So coming back to to Norway when I was 17, where people would have their favorite bands up on the walls <laughs> in their in their boys' rooms, I would have Nelson Mandela over my bed, <laughs> and I was an activist working to stop apartheid. Was it hard to coming to come back after such a time and experiences compared to people in your age back home? Yeah, I think you get some experiences and some perspectives that grow you up quickly, and you just see that there are certain are other things in the world that matter quite a bit mm. more than just the things that teenagers in Oslo are, you know, concerned about. Mm. Certainly, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. So that was number one. So the second one would be what happened to me when I was 18. Like I said, I didn't grow up in church. My parents considered themselves Christians, but it wasn't really a huge part of our family life. And so I sort of had observed Christians from distance and didn't quite identify with what I saw. And so I had basically dismissed Christianity in a sense because there was way just so much awareness <laughs> from what I saw. Mm. Then when I was, I guess, 16, 15, 16, I was invited by a friend to a youth camp. And then after that Christian youth camp, I was invited to the youth group. And so I was so, sort of socialized into a Christian setting, which was quite new to me. Mm. But that started a journey of exploring the Christian faith. I didn't consider myself religious. I didn't um, know a lot about, I just knew a little bit about what I'd seen. And I thought that Christianity was really about restraining people, having us having people keep a lot of rules. But uh, being in that context, it sort of propelled me into a journey of exploring who God really is mm. and who, and I started to study Jesus. And during that, the next couple of years, I realized that the faith, the Christian faith is really not about religion at all. It's about relationship. Mm. It's about knowing God. And the more I read and, and explored, going straight to the source, it dawned on me eventually after a couple of years that, wow, if, if God is like Jesus, he loves me more than I love myself. Mm. Now, how is that possible? I was pretty high in myself. Mm. Right. And so because I I could check off the right things with respect to the, the, the Christian faith, that you know, Jesus is the Son of God, he died and he rose from the dead. I could sort of, you know, check off those things. So those are things that I would say are necessary but insufficient. Mm. Now, what I didn't realize was that there was the invitation was not to sort of a, a cognitive knowledge of things or a confession of things. It was actually surrendering my life. You know, Paul says in Romans 10 that, 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mm. Now, so believing that God raised him from the dead, that was easy in a sense. I, you know, that I sort of, I could embrace that. But confess and embrace that Jesus is my Lord. That was a t that was a tough one. That that took me two years mm. because that meant that I couldn't be Lord myself. There could only be one Lord, and I was afraid that God would make me into one of those weirdos that I perceived people to be. Mm. Now I'm not saying they were, but that was my perception. Mm. And so it was really, you know, at the end of the day, giving your life to Jesus is all about trust. 
And so trust has to do with knowledge of the person you need to trust. And that happened when the summer of 1988, when I was 18, I came to the point where I finally surrendered to Jesus. And I said, hey, I now I know enough. Now I take that step of faith and I make my decision for the rest of my life and actually for the rest of eternity that from now on, I don't own myself, you own me. I'm not Lord. I give you the keys to my heart and to my life and my future. Mm. And, and when I did that, it was as heaven just opened over my life and I was filled with a sense of peace and joy and the passion that I was talking about, I think it started there. <laughs> that has never left the passion for Jesus. Mm. And actually, I even found myself speaking in a language I never heard before, which the Bible explains as speaking in tongue, which is a prayer as an intimate communication with the Lord. Mm. And, and I knew from that moment, my life was going to be different. Mm. I was going to, I wanted to share the good news of Jesus to everybody. Mm. I so good story. And I think it's so inspiring also to see like you coming from a non-really Christian background in that sense, and by being invited to church and stuff like that, really meeting God. But how would you describe like that process you said took over two years to really accept Jesus as the Lord of your life? How did that happen? Like, What, what did you do during that time to process and to find God as the Lord of your life? Because, I mean, a lot of people that are young listening, maybe, I think challenge today is you get so much impressions. Maybe it was different at that time. I don't know, but probably it was different, but it still had its challenges. How could you navigate between like God and everything you read in the Bible here in church combined with everything you hear from people outside church? And how did the God thing <laughs> end up being the way you choose? Yeah, good question. You know, I think every decision we make is a value decision. It's actually based on what we perceive to be more valuable than the cost, mm. right? And so to me, the cost of discipleship, the way I perceived it was to begin with way too high. I didn't see the value at all. And so I was just focused on the limiting things or the twisted ideas of what a Christian should be like. Um, you know, having seen the, my exposure to Christians was not, was not something that I identified with or wanted to identify with. You know, I thought you had to, to dress boring. You know, you have to wear white socks in your sandals. You have, and you have to restrain your, you know, you can't drink, smoke. And smoking was real. I mean, everybody was smoking in those days. Today, it's not cool. But in those days, it was not cool to not smoke, right? Mm. And so, and, and but I, I never actually, I've never smoked. I've actually never even got drunk because I just didn't value that. And this, the sex thing, I just saw a lot of external things that had to be in place. I didn't see the value of the relationship or, or the, the transforming power of Jesus. So to me, it, it had to, I, I couldn't have come to that place without actually going to the source itself, the New Testament mm. and the Old Testament, studying Jesus, asking questions. I was asking a lot of questions because I needed my mind to, to get in sync with, with the journey. And just learning, I think, just leaning into people who, who had experienced God. I got, in, you know, hearing stories from people who, who knew Jesus. I think, you know, you can choose who you want to surround yourself with. And if you always choose to not be with people who live a, a kingdom life, then that's what you're going to be exposed to. And eventually I started to read books. I read Nikki Cruz's uh, book way back, which was popular in those days. 
It's a radical story of a criminal who, who got saved, you know, with Youth with a Mission, uh, Lauren Cunningham's story about his journey with God. And eventually, after I gave my life to Jesus, also reading, you know, whatever John Wimber wrote has always been inspiring. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it just all those things together brought me to a place of trust and where I saw that. I, it's, I always, I had this inkling inside that I, I knew God was real. I knew Jesus was a savior, but I, I didn't know what would happen if I gave up the control of my life because I, I didn't know him enough or trust him enough that he would, you know, do me well. So that that's what I'm, and I'm, I guess I'm slow. It took me two years. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> but I think it's really good what you say. And also what I hear in this is that who you become is really who you follow. So, I mean, it's important to find good people to follow. It could be people that you can meet in real life, have around you, but it could also be people that you hear stories from or about, like through books or whatever media you use today. And that's also something that's been really on my heart this last year. It's like, how do we in church, how do we create a lifestyle where we see the younger people? People, we mentor, we support, we lead, and then also having other people that we follow all the time, like having someone <laughs> above you in a way and someone that you lead under you in a way all the time. I think if, if that's something everyone could make sure we do in our lives, I, I think a lot of life will grow so much more than we see today just by that simple thing. And you can do that in your everyday life. That's not a program that has to be on to do that yeah. or a specific time every week or something. It's just being around people and Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think I, to me, it's been just it's so important to lean into people whom I, who I admire for their yeah. journey with God and for their obedience, you know, just learning from them, being inspired by them, being challenged by them, yeah. by their lives. Yeah. yeah. So the third story I thought of, having been a Christian then for two years, a uh, little or two or three years, I, I was 20, 21. Uh, well, I was 20, actually. I, I, I got my taxi license in Oslo. And uh, because I had decided I wanted to, to travel with youth of the mission, so I had set aside five, four or five months to, to work to, to raise money. And I started working night shifts in Oslo at the time. And so in those days, uh, a taxi car would have two drivers and it would go 24-7, <laughs> so, which meant that we would drive 12-hour shifts. Mm. And so I would do the 12-hour night shifts. Mm. Now, for some reason, I didn't think a lot before I got that job because it's not necessarily the most pleasant job driving people at night. Why do people take taxi at night? Well, basically because they can't or won't drive. And so after a very short time, I was very uncomfortable with the job. You know, mostly driving drunk people. Some would be rude and mean. Some would even throw up in my car. And it just developed a really harsh and bad attitude in me. And, you know, you have coping mechanisms, right? And you're, you get emotional. So I remember, and I'm not really proud of it today, but when people would ask me, you know, old friends would ask me, you know, how, so Christian, what are you doing these days? I would say, you know, I'm in the, just for fun, I would say, I'm in the trash business. I drive trash. And then I would, you know, laugh it away and say, no, it's, I'm a I drive my taxi and blah, blah, blah. And I remember exactly the spot at, at uh, and where in Oslo it was at a gas station. I met a, an old friend and he asked me the same question. So what are you doing these days? And I was pulling my joke, which I thought was funny. And just as I was about to say, well, I'm in the trash business, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Christian, you can't call these people trash. I love them and I gave my life for them. And I want you to be a light in the darkness of Oslo. 
And immediately I was just convicted of my poor attitude and not physically, but in my heart, I just threw my face on the ground and said, Lord, please, please forgive me. And, and then I prayed a prayer and experienced probably the m- most profound transformation since my conversion. And I said, but if you want me to continue to have this job and to be a light in, in the darkness in Oslo, you have to change my heart. Mm. You have to do a work in my heart. You have to give me a love for these people. And that's what he did. From that moment, my whole attitude, getting up in the morning, quote unquote, at 3 p.m., <laughs> you know, starting my shift at 6 yeah. p.m., uh, I would, you know, start my, my shift before getting to my car and, and worship and surrender and just basically saying, hey, Lord, whoever you bring into my taxi today, use my hands and my voice and my life to, to be a blessing, you know. Mm. And so that sort of catalyzed me into a season of tremendous learning. Mm. I was reading John Wimber at the time. I was reading the Gospels and Jesus at the time. And Jesus and, and John <laughs> Wimber convinced me that praying and healing the sick was something everybody could do. Mm. And so I started to pray for people in my taxi. I had conversations. I shared the gospel, probably prayed for hundreds of people during the season. Mm. And so a lot of people physically immediately healed. And there was one episode I want to mention in particular, if you have time for it, John. Mm. Yeah. And so this was a, a, an evening, probably around 11 o'clock at night, downtown Oslo. I was asked to come and pick up a man at, his, at an address, and a man in his 40s probably gets into the back of my car and says, hey, please drive me down to the Continental Hotel. And he asks, is the bar open? Because I'm going out to, to, to drink. And I said, I don't know if the bar is open, but I'll, I'll drive you there. So we're sitting in the car, I'm driving, and we're having a conversation. And at a point, I, I tell him that I'm a Christian. And he just gets quiet for a moment. And then he says, well, I'm a homosexual. And I'm thinking, oh, now I wonder where is this going? And then he starts telling his story. And his story is like this. He says, when I was young and I was going through confirmation class, probably around the age of 14, he said, I was so eager to learn about the Bible. I was memorizing scriptures. And then I got confirmed. But then the the priest at the church found out that I was gay He called me into his office, and he told me that if I knew that you were homosexual, I would never have confirmed you. And as he's telling me his story in the back of my taxi, he's weeping. And, you know, when you are 20 years yourself with a 40-something-year-old crying in the back of your taxi, what do you do? Right. And so in my mind, I was I just started to pray the most classical prayer that has ever been. Lord, help, you know. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, Jacob, book of Jacob, uh, Jacob says that if you ask the Lord for wisdom and you ask for it in faith, he will give it to you. So I was just like, Lord, help me. And then more or less, I hear myself saying to this man, sir, I am so sorry for the the pain that you have and the experience you, you had. And as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I want to ask your forgiveness on behalf of this priest, because I don't think, I don't believe Jesus would have treated you in that way. And then he gets a little aggressive because he didn't, doesn't understand what I'm saying. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I believe that you have a father in heaven who loves you with an eternal love, unconditional love, just who, who the way you are. And I would really ask, want to ask your forgiveness on behalf of this priest. And by this time, 
We've reached the destination outside of the Continental Hotel. I stopped the taxi and the meter and I turned to him and I said, you, you know, would you like to experience the, the father heart of God, how he loves you? Do you mind if I pray for you? And he says, yes. And so I just, and then I, so I just, I pray for him that he would experience mm -hmm. God's love. And then when I finished my prayer, and you know how it is when you probably don't know how it is unless you've been a taxi driver and praying for strangers, <laughs> but it's, it feels a little awkward, right? Yeah. And so I, that's not when I pray, the, you know, the 30-minute prayers. It probably took 30 seconds. And so I say amen, and then he just looks at me and says, uh, turn the, the, the car around and drive me home. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, drive me back home. But I said, weren't you supposed to get out? No, I can't drink anymore. I had to go home. I know I have a Bible somewhere in the basement. I have to find it. And so I, I start the car. I start driving back. And as I'm driving, the Holy Spirit, the power of God just fills the cab. And the guy starts shaking. His whole body is now shivering and shaking, even to the extent that he's commenting on it. And he says, what is happening to me? My whole body is shaking. What if I became a Christian? What would my friends say? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then he says, you know, do you have a book or something about you know, how God loves as a father that you could send me. And I said, sure, I'll get your address and I'll send you something. And then we get back to his house. I stopped the car and I stopped the meter again. And now we get out of the car and I look at him and I said, you know, Jesus really loves you. And if you want, you can receive him and you can know him. And then he says something really profound. He says, no, I can't do that because the priest is in between us. That's quite interesting. And then he pauses and then he says, but... Now, I think if he were here, I would forgive him. I would shake his hand and I would tell him that what you did was not okay, but then I would forgive him. And I was like, what? And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, for me, the, the miracle of forgiveness and reconciliation is so profound. And just watching, and actually two or three times during that conversation outside of the taxi, he, he, he stops and he pauses and looks at me. And he says, where'd you get that power from? And it's as though he sees something in my face that I'm not aware of. Mm. And he just says, Where, where'd you get that power from? Mm. And so, so this was a tremendous learning season for me, where mm. I was experiencing how God was doing things. I was just being there, available, and he was doing things. And now I'd read the Gospels and the book of Acts, and then that would make sense to me. You know, when Jesus says you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and, and you will be my witnesses mm. in, in Acts 1.8. And, and it's like, oh, so that's it, you know. Mm. But then I know also that the profound thing that he did in my heart, where I actually had to ask for his love for people, because if we pray for people and, you know, try to do things without having God's love for them, mm regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of whatever they have done in life, who doesn't need God's grace and unconditional love? Mm -hmm. And so that has re really shaped me. I, and I'm still praying, Lord, please take away any, every and any prejudice that I may have still of judging people in my life so that I can be an instrument of your unconditional love. Mm. Oh, so good. So inspiring also to to see what God can do in such a young age as well. Mm -hmm. And and I know since we know each other, you have many great stories also 
from later years. But yeah, I really like this story and really how a small act of faith could make the whole difference for, for a person. Yeah. Uh, and that's and and it also shows like we're all in it for like the one person at a time. It's also something that I've been thinking a lot around the last years. Like how do we really see the one person every day that we mm. meet in each situation? So yeah, thank you. Can, can I just add one thing yeah. to that story? Yeah. Because when I and here's something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, showing me that when I have this privilege of being used by him to bless and and to show God's love for somebody. It just dawns on me how much God also loves me. You know, when he can love and lavish his love on somebody like in that powerful way, because he's not a worse sinner than I am. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I need that same grace and same unconditional love, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that has also been a quite quite a bit of a healing thing to myself. Mm. That's good. So to move on in this talk, we want to speak a little bit around the vineyard values and the kingdom perspective, things that are really like core for us in the vineyard movement. And I think often it's important to come back to these core values that have shaped us history in the back, but also how could they have an impact on us also for the future? Like how could we go back to those simple, maybe in a way, truth and use them for the coming time? So I wanted to ask you a little bit to share about the core values of the vineyard and why is it that we have those values i mean i have heard over the years quotes such as doing the stuff everybody gets to play here but not yet and you know there's a lot of words and one-liners we use often in the vineyards but what do they really mean we don't need to go into everyone today but like some of them that's been really important for you yeah. Well, I think the essence of everything is our understanding of the kingdom of which basically is the central thing that Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated. You know, he said the time has come repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And ever since then the kingdom of God has been here. So the question then is what is the kingdom? <laughs> and why is that important to understand? And so if you study the New Testament, the Greek and the Hebrew in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word malkut And the Greek words, basileia tuthiu, basically means God's reign and rule. It means that God is king, and he has the right to reign and rule over his creation. And that's why I say that confessing the right things in Christianity is necessary, but insufficient, because you also need to surrender your life to the reign and rule of Jesus. So ever since then, God's effective will has been present in the world. So when Jesus says the time has come ever since then, it's been within reach for anyone who wants to enter the kingdom. They can just reach out their hand and they can experience the reign and rule of Jesus, which is basically reestablishing the intention and the the purposes God had from the beginning that were destroyed and um, distorted by the fall. And so out of that, that paradigm of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which is the language that Matthew uses because he's writing to the Jews. It's basically just getting up every morning knowing that God is near and God's power and will and ability to transform lives is always available. That paradigm or that the kingdom mindset has really shaped my orientation to people into life. Because I used to or when, especially in the, the state church uh, context where I was socialized into, you know, the Christian circles, they would use the word kingdom of God as sort of a, a, an, a synonym for Christian activities, which is not. It is the reign and rule of God. It's that God, Jesus is Lord, Yahweh reigns, God is king. And so he is 
inviting us to step in to our destinies of kingdom ambassadors. And, you know, Paul says that, <coughs> that we're ambassadors for Christ. And so <coughs> an ambassador has a delegated authority on behalf of a kingdom. And so we have a real authority. So whenever we share the, the gospel of reconciliation, it is as though God himself is speaking to people. It has also changed my assumptions. And with that, my language has changed. You know, sometimes you hear Christians, and in the old days, I, I would even speak like that myself, saying that it's, it's important to take God with you to work, for example. Mm. I don't think like that anymore. I don't think it's biblical. I, I, I don't need to take God with me to work. Mm. I assume that God is already at work, and that when I get to work, uh, or wh wh wherever I am, wherever I am, where, whether it's at my bus to work, wherever I am at any time, there's an invitation for me to lean in and step into what he is doing mm. rather than thinking that I'm doing something and I need to sort of include God in it. Mm. It's a huge shift. And I think a lot of Christians haven't, you know, gone through that shift and they think they have to bring Jesus to work or to things. And so I would say that the most essential value we have in the vineyard that comes out of our understanding of the kingdom of God is worship. You know, worship is at the heart. It's what we're destined for. It's what we were created for. It's what we've been set free for. You know, Paul says that from the beginning of time, he has revealed himself. And he says that we exchanged God's truth for lies, and we started to worship and serve the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. That's Romans 1.25. And so anything that is substituting worship of God with something else, whether it's materialism, my own desires, my own preferences, whatever it is, or other religions for that matter, it's, it's idolatry. And so when we as a vineyard community gather to worship, it's more than singing songs and raising hands. It's actually us expressing that Yahweh reigns, Jesus is king. <laughs> And he has the right to reign and rule in our lives. And so out of that, everything else comes into the right place. Because if you don't have worship right, then everything gets twisted and distorted and it becomes the wrong motives for things. Yeah. So it's more like coming, as you describe, it's more like really establish a foundation in God, in the like presence of God. And out of that is what you do. It's like what you said first, it's more like the view, how it may be traditional have been is the worship has been like what we should do. Like we yeah. should do, that's how we worship God when we do yeah. things. But instead yeah. of that shifting into like just being here is worshiping God. That's what we should yeah. do first. Yeah. And out of that, we are called to be sent out. Exactly, exactly. Spot on. And like when we have been in that place of worship, when we are in that place, when God is transforming us, what are the core things that we in the vineyard see ourselves called to? Yeah, and that's a really good question because I think the more you spend your heart in worship, the more your heart starts to beat for the things that God's heart is beating for and your mindset and your priorities are aligned with his will. And so I think one of the things that is just going through all of Scripture is that God has a really heartbeat for the poor and the powerless, for those on the fringes, for the strangers, the foreigners, for the widows and the fatherless, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we've always cherished that in our vineyard family that we, we really have a high priority of serving the poor and the powerless, not because we have to or we should, but because it's God's heart. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to what? To the poor. And so there are people who are living under, you know, poverty and injustice. And I believe that the local church, whether it's vineyard or whatever it is, is the hope of that of the world. And we are sent by God into his world to, to establish his purposes and kingdom. Mm. And when... And I know like when John Wimber in his early days in the church, like he, he really got this, as you described, like on his heart, like when are we actually living out this? When are we seeing these things happening that we read about? And if I don't uh, remember wrong, like the answer was a little bit like, oh yeah, we don't do it. We, we read about it. <laughs> it was yeah. like the answer he got. And, and, and yeah. after that was like the transformation in his life. And also that's been like, also been part of our story since he's one of the founder of the vineyard. How would you say, like, what's the basics around that for us? What do we value? What do we practice when it comes to that? I mean, for me, like when I came into the vineyard, it was really, I met this church in our movement. They really met the young people. They really challenged, like if you're 12 or even if you're five years old, you can be part of praying for someone. You can Mm -hmm. see Mm -hmm. stuff happening. It's not about the oldies or the pastors or the leaders, but like really everyone can be part of this. And how has those core values, how has that impacted us and also people around us in, in the countries that we've been a part? I think it's it's one of the things that when God called me to to be a leader in the vineyard, I knew that it implied saying yes to both proclaiming and demonstrating his kingdom, because that's what Jesus did. Now, I think that shouldn't necessarily be the only vineyard, but we've really embraced that. That's I, it's, To me, it's like I can't be a vineyard pastor <laughs> unless I really lean into and commit myself to stepping out of my comfort zone, to embracing that I am a fool for Christ, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and actually step in trusting Him in my daily life. So that means that one of my prayers every day is, Lord Jesus, whatever, whenever, wherever you ask me to do today, my answer in advance is yes. And that sets sort of the tone for my day. Now, am I always obedient? No but hopefully a lot, <laughs> you know, and, and we see the fruits of it. And then I think one of the, the things when John Wimber used to say, you know, everyone gets to play, we as leaders want to really involve people. We don't want people to always have to come to us for things. We want to empower and equip people, you know. So like my Carolina, my oldest, when she was two and a half years old and we pray and, you know, and I was asked by a lady to pray for her. And Carolina was sitting on my lap. And I said, well, Carolina, why don't you put your hand on her back and we'll pray? And her back straightened up. And so, and we didn't feel it immediately. The way the lady felt it was an intense heat in her body. But the x-rays or the, what do you call the images they take uh, later showed that the muscles hadn't contracted to where the bone had straightened up yet. (laughs) Mm, So she she was actually for a medical inspection a few days later and the radiograph or whatever they call it was just astonished because he'd never seen anything like that. So I think, you know, we just always look for those opportunities. We lean into it. We expect Mm. it. We expect that God is always at work. Mm. And I also like when I came into the vineyard, also what stuck with me since that, and I, I think is really that make my Christian life more alive. I, I think in a way is that in the core values, at least we value the time of listening to God, of like 
inviting him in our meetings. I mean, it hasn't to be dr- dramatic or it hasn't to be, you know, forced. It's nothing that are forced into happening, but it's more like we always <clears throat> give space for God to do his thing. I think often we're so eager to put up a good show or a good program or we have to, you know, have everything in, in, in place. We have to control everything, but really giving this space of like inviting God. And if he does things, he does things, or if not, we can move on. And yeah. I like what Mike Pilavachi say, like, if God is not doing anything today, we can go out and have a cake. We don't need to stay here for long just for the <laughs> sake of it. Uh, exactly. And I really like that. And lastly, if you want to share like a story from your life today or recently that you can like maybe inspire people to really live out this. I know you have shared some stories for me, but I really like this one when you had this uh, meeting with, I think it was like a couple of CEOs or something when you had prayed for them in the morning and you shared these words for them. I used that story for my myself sometimes then I also think I shared it for some people and they are really inspired when they hear about like how simple act of faith can make a difference in a meeting with you know big company leaders so why don't you share about it yeah I think at the core of what we're talking about Jon yeah. is embracing discomfort as part of the tension of the kingdom because we, you said we live in the now and the not yet right and so the kingdom is now but it's also not quite yet mm. it will be fully here when Jesus comes right and so when we're taking these steps in faith with people we it's a, it's an act of trust in Jesus but it doesn't always go the way we hope right mm. and so everybody that i pray for healing doesn't doesn't get healed but more people do get healed than if i hadn't right Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, and, and so in, the, in this situation, I just remember we had, we had our, this was during the digital times at, uh, during the pandemic, and, and we were sitting in our digital group at Vintage Vineyard and, and praying, and, you know, challenging each other for the next week. And we were just listening to God individually, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you tomorrow when you have this executive coaching with this company to share a prophetic word for everyone in the room. I think it was five people or something. And so I told the group that I think the Lord wants me to share a prophetic word with everyone tomorrow. Could you please pray for me? Now, just, you know, saying that commits me, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and someone, so, will, someone will follow up you the day after. <laughs> exactly. And they do. Oh, trust, uh, trust me, they do. Yeah. So in this situation, you know, again, I start my everyday morning with my new grinded coffee and, my, and I read scripture and I worship. And then I had the names of the people that I was, was going to meet in this workshop. And I said, okay. And I took them one by one. Lord, what are you saying to these people? And then I just wrote it down. And then I came to the, the, the workshop and I said, may I have your permission to share something? Because as you know, and I've told them before, I have a quiet time in the morning. And I told them that I actually, I do pray. And, and here are the, some of the things. Do you mind if I share what I believe came to me as I was, I was praying for you this morning? And then I, I just shared with them one, you know, one after the other. And everybody was just nodding and, and really being touched by what was, because I think they all felt this is so true. And it was really words of encouragement for them. And it was a way of God just using me as his instrument to speak something of truth into their lives and actually showing that he's alive and he's real. So, yeah. That's really good. And I think it's a good ending of this conversation today. And I'm very happy for being able to have this talk. And lastly, before we end, what would be like one thing that you hope would inspire or challenge people in the coming time ahead out of what we talked about today? 
You know, if anything, my prayer is that our conversation would really inspire people to lean more into Jesus, to explore the facets of his, or, you know, the all the, you know, the splendor of who he is and fall more in love with him and worship. Mm. That is really it. Because um, out of that, when you fall in love with Jesus and you surrender your life to him and he becomes your Lord, that's where real life starts, a life of the eternal kind. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patricia, for being here today. And it's such a good time to always speak to you. And uh, I also want to highlight for everyone that's listened that we have a summer camp coming up soon in July in Sweden, in Mulsjö. So please go online to summercamp.vinarnordic.org and sign up and we will have a really good week together finally after two years. So yeah, thank you everyone and uh, see you in next episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to follow the Wiener Nordic movement and everything that is happening, you can go to Facebook and Instagram and follow us under Vineyard Nordic. You can also help us by subscribing to this podcast on the different podcast platforms. When doing that, you will also get an update every time we have a new episode out. So again, thank you and see you again next time. Bye bye.